Hello, you're plugging into the Evolution Sermon Podcast. We're so excited to share with you another awesome message from Pastor Charmaine. Have a fantastic day. We'll see you at church. So today, uh, the title of my message and really the word I have for our church uh, for Vision 2020 and beyond is rest and the beginning of ambition. So everyone where you are, uh, online and ops people here together with me, say rest and say the beginning of ambition. And I know as I talk about these two concepts, rest and ambition, you know, they don't really seem like they belong in the same sentence. But if you stick with me, I promise I'm going to help make this make sense, okay? Now, I'm a person that nowadays I rarely invoke God's name, especially when it comes to leading the church. But this afternoon, I really feel so, so strongly that this is the word that God is speaking to the evolution. And to each of us individually, you, me, our connect groups, our zones, you know, because we are a family and team, a community and army here at the evolution. And so our collective destinies are now kind of woven together to build a church. We are God's house. Each of us brings ourselves, our own self, to this church vision. But more than that, God's vision for our church also now kind of takes each of us in, you know, chisels us and causes us to fit together in a collective destiny. So I want to say humbly, after a lot of prayer and reflection, but also confidently, that rest and the beginning of ambition is a prophetic word for our church. A word about the future, a word about our next seven years, also a word of instruction. That if we run with this instruction, we're going to see God do some amazing things. So let me start off today by just talking about the word ambition, okay? Now, ambition is a word that has been escalating in my spirit since our 2019 rap service. You know, I shared with you that the number one lesson I learned in 2019 was to be patient, but to also be ambitious. And, but since then, can I tell you, it's been like the Holy Spirit has just been repeatedly drilling it into my heart. You know how in life there are some words, promises from God that you have to grab onto and hold on tightly? And then there are some words and promises from God that grab hold of you and kind of won't let you go. And this is one of those rare occasions in my life that it is the second instance. And so I was thinking about ambition with regards to church uh, just throughout the year. And, and sometime mid last year in 2019, I was wrestling with this issue inside myself. You know, I was going, hey, should our church dare to be more open and more prominent with our beliefs so that people can see what we are doing? I mean, we moved here and we call ourselves City on a Hill. But we're like, hidden city on a hill. Are you here with me? You know, we got something great here. And if we don't let ourselves shine publicly, then we will never make an impact on the world. But if we do, the question in my mind was, is it just our pride? Would it be foolishness? You know, what if, you know, all these things were just cycling through my brain. And so as I was thinking about all of this, I'm actually, on that day, I was, I was randomly clicking YouTube videos, right? And I happened to click into Mosaic Church's YouTube channel, and suddenly I click a channel. I'm not even really listening. I'm just clicking, flipping, right? And suddenly, Owen McManus goes through the speakers on my laptop, whoever told you ambition was bad? 
And then he goes into a whole spiel about bad theology, has taught, taught Christians that ambition is bad. And this didn't just happen once to me last year, but multiple times on the internet with people I was with suddenly saying something that I needed to hear with regards to ambition. And, and you know, if it's once or twice, you know, it, you can say it's coincidence. But when it's multiple times, you know, you got to go, okay, God, I heard you loud and clear. But my own reflections, guys, are also what I want to communicate with you as a church today. And that is watching the journey of our church in this last year as we ventured out to try things like ITG, um, to speak up about being inclusive church, a church for the world and not a church for the church, to preach sermons like radical things like how God isn't just about good and evil. You know, whenever me and our team has been ambitious lately, we have felt free. And every time we have let our light shine, instead of hiding it, we've seen amazing results in our church. You know, our team in 2019 and 2020 has been the most creative it has ever been. You know, people, non-Christians especially, have come to our church and say they felt connected to God. And this last Christmas, you heard me say one of the best compliments from a friend who came to service was she said, you guys are a church, but you're not a church. So many friends have said they felt comfortable in our church, even though they were initially skeptical that they would feel that way. So many have said that for the first time, Christianity and Christians actually make sense. <laughs> and you know, that was exactly what our leadership team set out to do at the beginning of 2019. We did it with a lot of fear and trepidation, a lot of worry, but we've experienced deeper joy, satisfaction, our team has grown closer, lives are being changed. And conversely, I've also noticed that the times when we've chosen to hide who we are, suppressed our beliefs and suppressed our ambition, were the moments we didn't experience peace or see results. And so I finally conceded in my struggling with God that ambition is what He wants of us, of me, this season that we are entering. And I'm ready to be, you know, all out that we are sold out for building a different, constantly evolving with God Christianity. One that the world can finally understand and actually connect to God again. And, and here's what I worked out, and I hope this helps some of you, even though it seems obvious. You know, ambition, so long as it serves and is not selfish, should not be something we fear. Again, I know it's obvious, right? But it's been a really hard idea for me to internalize. Because, I don't know, some of you may be like me, I've had chapters in my life where I've been driven by ego and arrogance and very often not being aware of it in my life and brought on terrible experiences of correction and having to humble myself. But I've also swung to the other extreme, which is to fear being driven at all. Believing that I'm not capable of having power or checking myself that our church should stay as far under the radar as possible, that any drive except to save souls and change lives is pride on our part. But here's what I finally concluded. God has led our church through so many low points of humility and failure that I think that there is now actually a foundational integrity about us and a foundational humility about us. We understand what is important, we also have learned how to recognize when we're acting out of ego. 
We know how to check ourselves when ambition starts to become self-serving and selfish and self-promoting. So much so that I really believe confidently that it is possible for us to be a fully ambitious church and to do it well. I'm less afraid to make mistakes now because I know those mistakes, which will happen, will be mistakes that take, you know, that are steps to greater heights, not falls from greater heights. So I believe the evolution is ready for ambition. So I want to say to all of you watching, for the next seven years, I want you to dare to dream, to dare to believe and dare to fight to see something amazing come to pass, you know, together in our church and in your life. I want you to be ambitious together with me. I don't want you to be safe. I don't want you to be ordinary. I don't want you to be common. I want us to be extraordinary people, the extraordinary uncommon people that God created us to be. I want us to be an extraordinary church. Whether it's your life or our church, you know, it is time to speak, to do, to try, to think up, to create something that is ambitious. Amen? So that's the word I feel is for our next seven years as a church. Now let's talk about the other word, and the other word is rest. Turn your neighbor say rest. So while next seven years are going to be years of ambition, I also believe 2020 is going to be a year of rest. I know, so crazy, right? And, and just so you know that I'm not saying this because now COVID has brought the world to a standstill and I'm retracting an ambition and adding rest to the equation. No, listen, I was sure about this word all the way in January. In fact, when I sensed God speaking this to me, I was really quite perplexed because our church has been accelerating this past year. But it was really bothering me, this word rest. And, and so just before I got on the plane with our leaders to go for our retreat during CNY, which was uh, late January, right? Before the COVID situation really hit Singapore, okay? I remember, you know, just as I was in the airport, I was texting Pastor Seller and I was like, hey, can I get something off my chest? I don't know what it means yet, but I really think God is saying 2020 is going to be a year of rest for our church. And in fact, I'm so sure I am thinking of, I am tempted to make tw- declare 2020 a Sabbath year. Suspend all church service. No, 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 kidding. No church for a year. We're just going to like laze around at home. No, I'm kidding about the last part. Actually, we, now we don't even have to do the last part because the government has done it for us. <laughs> then Pastor Stella tested back. She went, huh? I thought you said ambition. Then she went, okay, cool. Just take some time to reflect about this more. Did I do her voice well? Oh my God, Estella, if you're watching right now, I I love you very, very much. So rest is a very, uh, the Sabbath is a very interesting concept in the Bible. It's more or less depicted two ways in the Bible, okay? Uh, Generally, first is rest after work so that we can create again. But secondly, it's very interesting, it's also rest from enemies which requires us to fight. You know, Israel had to fight to enter the promised land. So, so, so I texted her about this crazy thing and then while we were in Thailand, all hell broke loose in Singapore about COVID-19, right? And immediately I just knew, you know what, 
logically, this year, people are going to be emo. The world is going to go crazy. But God is saying, if you can be extraordinary, if you can be uncommon, and stay in a position of rest in me, because rest is often a position, not just a situation. If you can stay in rest, then God can begin to work something amazing in us and through us. But remember, rest is rest from work, but rest is also rest from enemies, and that comes after a fight. It's such a fascinating thing, right? The Bible is full of dualities and pluralities, but that is the real Christianity and the real Word of God. God is big enough for all things. (laughs) So in today's message, I want to tie, or more than that, I want to yoke these two concepts together and hopefully move inspire and challenge you to go on this next seven years of journeying together with us. And maybe, just maybe, see an amazing, game-changing church start to emerge from the evolution. Amen? All right, so Vision 2020 and Beyond Rest in the Beginning of Ambition. So let's jump straight into the Bible. We're going to look at a chapter, literally a whole chapter, of a prophet named Elijah's life. Now, those of you who have been Christians for a good minute will be familiar with Elijah, okay? He's the prophet that prayed down fire from heaven. And in doing so, he confronted King Ahab, um, an evil king over Israel, and he executed 400 false prophets of Baal that had led Israel away from God. But straight after this amazing, miraculous, brave endeavor, I mean, he prayed and in front of thousands of Israelites, fire came down from heaven. After this amazing miracle, the Bible tells us that, God, that Elijah went into a pretty interesting chapter of his life. And that's what we're going to read about in 1 Kings chapter 19. So, I'm going to go through this. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had killed all Baal's prophets with the sword. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah with this message, may the gods do whatever they want to me if by this time tomorrow I haven't made your life like the life of one of them. Elijah was terrified. He got up and ran for his life. He arrived at Beersheba in Judah and left his assistant there. Then he himself went further down into the desert a day's journey. He finally sat down under a solitary broom bush. He longed for his own death. He said, it's more than enough, Lord. Take my life because I'm no better than my ancestors. He lay down and slept under the solitary broom bush. Then suddenly a messenger tapped him. Some translations say this is an angel, okay. Tapped him and said, get up, eat something. Elijah opened his eyes and saw flat bread baked on glowing coals and a jar of water right by his head. He ate and drank and then went back to sleep. The Lord's messenger returned a second time and tapped him. Get up, the messenger said. Eat something because you have a difficult road ahead of you. Elijah got up, ate and drank and went refreshed by that food for 40 days and nights until he arrived at Horeb, God's mountain. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. Now the Lord's word came to him and said, Why are you here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have been very passionate for the Lord God of heavenly forces because the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. They have torn down your altars and they have murdered your prophets with the sword. 
I'm the only one left and now they want to take my life too. The Lord said, go out and stand at the mountain before the Lord. The Lord is passing by. Now a strong wind tore through the mountains and broke apart the stones before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord wasn't in the fire. After the fire, there was a sound. Thin, quiet. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his coat. He went out and stood at the cave's entrance. A voice came to him and said, Why are you here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very passionate for the Lord of God of heavenly forces because the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. They have torn down your altars. They have murdered your prophets with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they want to take my life too. Now the Lord said to him, Go back through the desert to Damascus and anoint Hazael as king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, Nimshi's son, as king of Israel. And anoint Elisha from Abel, Meholah, Shaphat's son, to succeed you as prophet. Whoever escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. But I have preserved... Those who remain in Israel totaling 7,000, all whose knees haven't bowed down to Baal or whose mouths haven't kissed him. So Elijah departed from there and found Elisha, Shaphat's son. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. Elisha was with the 12th yoke. Elijah met up with him and threw his coat on him. Elisha immediately left the oxen and ran after Elisha. Let me kiss my father and mother. And Elisha, and Elisha said, then I will follow you. Elijah replied, go, I'm not holding you back. Elisha turned back from following Elijah, took the pair of oxen, slaughtered them. Then with the equipment from the oxen, Elisha boiled the meat and gave it to the people and they ate it. Then he got up and followed Elijah and served him. Now the rest is history. The Bible tells us he mentored Elisha into one of the greatest prophets to ever live. And he went on to train probably anywhere from 100 to 200 other prophets throughout Israel. And it all sprang from this one chapter in his life, where he was down and out, where Elijah was burnt out, feeling defeated, arguably so, so sensitive that he was throwing a tantrum, talking to God and complaining about people. The situation around him was genuinely bad. He was being pursued by his enemies. And despite his best efforts calling down fire from heaven, most of Israel hadn't turned back to God. And yet, out of this dark chapter, he managed to find God and the entire trajectory of his life turned and was elevated. And so I want to use this passage to talk about how we can use this year to do the same in our lives. So point number one, I want to say to you, rest is for recovery. So... The first thing this passage tells us about rest is that sometimes we all need rest in order to recover. You know, one of the things I love about this story is God's response to Elijah's burnout, or any burnout really, is so completely different from our human response to a burnout. You know, our human reaction is always, you know, it's probably to be very judgmental and go, you know, what? Elijah just had this amazing victory. I mean, the guy called down fire from heaven. He should be out of his mind brave and like overconfident right now, right? But the next moment, just a tiny thread through an email and it sent him running into the desert. 
You know, I don't know how many times I've heard this passage preached to me as, you know, be careful because after great miracles, terrible depression can sneak up on you. You know, to the point, I've heard this so many times growing up that to the point, I've been conditioned to fear burnout in my life as a leader and to be ashamed of feeling burned out. You know, it's so funny, every other time preachers tell us to look at Elijah, you know, they tell us, look up at him, you know, look, you know, look at his example, only this part, don't fall into the trap that he did. So here's the thing, I'm not sure that's the point of the passage, to warn us against burnout. In fact, I think it's more about the grace of God that is present for us in our low moments. You see, if you read what happens, it says there, while he was at his lowest, you know, he had just said, you know what, God, take my life. I'm done. I'm exhausted. I just want to go home. You know, then suddenly a messenger tapped him and said, get up and eat something. And Elijah opened his eyes. He saw flat bread. Wow, hot bread right there and a jar of water right by his head. He ate and drank and then he went back to sleep. And then the Lord's messenger returned a second time and said, get up, eat something because you have a difficult road ahead of you. Now, I'd like to point out to you right now that God didn't send an angel to wake Elijah up to scold him. Yo, Elijah, why are you so weak? What's the matter with you? No, he didn't scold Elijah. He sent the angel to feed Elijah. One translation of this story I love is the New King James Version because instead of just saying, the angel saying to him, you have a difficult road ahead of you, the NKJV actually reads, the journey is too great for you. So I love that because even God acknowledges that sometimes our journeys are too great for us to handle. And in those moments, He doesn't berate us about feeling down and out. Instead, He sends messengers to feed us, to comfort us, to acknowledge that, yes, this is hard, to acknowledge that, yes, we need to recover so we can continue on this difficult journey. So I want to say to some of us here, 2020 is a rest for you to recover. It's okay if you, your your, your burden has been heavy and you need God's comfort right now in this moment. It's okay if you need to pause for a little bit in 2020 to not chase the next goal, to not start that business, or to not read 20 books. It's okay to not treat COVID-19 as an opportunity to write that book you've been wanting to write. It's okay if you just need to pause and take time to reorganize your life and priorities, to sort out some internal patterns or yokes that need to be broken so that you don't just become rich and successful, but become happy. Do it because rest is sometimes for recovery. But let me also emphasize for those of us that also need to hear this. That is, rest is for recovery, not just respite. Respite is not the same as recovery. If you Google the word respite, you will get the following definition. It says, a short period of rest or relief from something difficult or unpleasant. But I like the second one better. It says, a short delay permitted before an unpleasant obligation is met or punishment is paid. Rest is not for delaying the inevitable. It is not for running away from your problems. 
I've met a lot of people who say they need rest, but the problem is what they are really doing is seeking respite, not recovery. So, for example, youth, right? All the youth here. A lot of them will binge watch Netflix to run from responsibility. So they go, Pastor, I'm stressed out and not doing well in school. I need a break. And then they go and binge watch Netflix for a couple of days straight. And before you know it, exams come and submission dates arrive and they are late. They do badly because they are too exhausted to study, too exhausted from watching TV nonstop. And so they do badly, they get depressed. And so Netflix some more repeat. Or for a lot of adults, you know, they will go, I'm stressed in that. I'm going to go on a holiday I can't afford, eat food I can't afford, and buy things I can't afford because I'll feel better. And pastor, once I feel better, I'll have strength to deal with my problems. Except you can't afford it. So you let in more debt and you feel more stress and then repeat. <laughs> so listen, some respite is important. And there's definitely an element of that in Elijah's journey. He needed a moment to lie down and be depressed, to hide under a broom tree from his enemies. But listen, God, all through that, is always interested in Elijah's recovery. You see, the, the angel said to Elijah, get up, eat something, because you have a difficult road ahead of you. You know, he didn't say, Elijah, get up. God is going to make all your enemies and problems disappear. No, he said, the road ahead is difficult. <laughs> and, and another version, you know, it's probably going to be too great for you to ban your current state. So eat. Drink. God wasn't providing food and drink for nothing. It was for the difficult road ahead. So I want to encourage everyone here, those of you who need it, please rest in 2020. Especially if you are genuinely burnt out. But remember that rest should be recovery, not respite. So maybe this is a year that when you take your rest, you need to make time for your mental health. Maybe what you need is not another expensive meal or holiday, but to pay for some therapy instead. To help you sort out some of your unhealthy patterns. Maybe it's time to reorganize your life so that you can carry God's calling to figure out some tools to live life well so that you can become more efficient. For others here, maybe it's time to learn what leaning on grace and God's providence truly means. That it's not about what you can do for God, but that God is on this journey together with you. So the Bible says that on that food that recovery food that God supernaturally provided, it gave Elijah enough strength to make his way to the mountain of God to hear God. You know, friend, listen, there can be sometimes in our life we are so burnt out that we need God's help in order to hear God. You ever been that way before? So burnt out that when you pray, you can't hear anything. You're stuck in the whirlwind. And if that is you, I want to give you hope because even right now while you are feeling that way, God is providing for you. God is giving you strength to come to Him to be able to hear from Him again. But you've got to decide that your rest is going to be for recovery, not just respite. So rest is for recovery. Next one, rest is for revelation. So after some recovery time, Elijah makes his way to the mountain of God. And while he's there, he receives two revelations that become 
really his fruitfulness for the next season of his life. So when he reaches the mountain, the first thing he does is complain to God. The Lord's word came to him and said, why are you here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have been very passionate for the Lord God of heavenly forces because the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. They have torn out your altars and murdered your prophets with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they want to kill me too. Well, I thought you wanted to take your own life already. <laughs> so God doesn't answer his complaint. Instead, listen to what God does, right? He says, go and stand at the mountain before the Lord because the Lord is passing by. A very strong wind tore through the mountains and broke apart the stones before the Lord. But God wasn't in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. But God wasn't in the fire. Then after the fire, there was a sound, a thin and quiet sound. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a coat. He went out and stood at the case entrance. And a voice, obviously the voice of God came to him once again and said, Elijah, why are you here? Now from the way this passage is written... It seems like Elijah was expecting a certain kind of answer to his complaint. You know, that's so like all of us here, right? When we are tired and in frustrated mode, we have a complaint, we also have expectations. We want God to give us the answer now, the way that we want now. And from this passage, it seems to imply that Elijah expected a pretty supernatural, dramatic and possibly drastic answer from God. I mean, remember, the last time he prayed not too long ago, God answered with fire from heaven. And after that, Elijah executed 400 false prophets. Actually, maybe that was why he was depressed. Not because he had called down from fire from heaven and then now depression crept up, but maybe because he had just killed 400 people. But I digress. <laughs> the last time he prayed, God answered with fire. And this time he prays, God doesn't answer his complaint. Instead, God gives him this live demonstration to illustrate his point, right? Strong winds rip into the mountains, shattering rocks. But God, you know, Elijah doesn't find God in this fierce wind. After that, an earthquake shakes the mountain. Elijah searches, but God isn't in that earthquake. Then, of course, the climax, right, which is really actually what Elijah was wanting, fire. Because that's how he last encountered God, right? But God wasn't in the fire. Then finally, after all this fanfare comes a thin, quiet sound. Some translations say a whisper, and behold, God is in that whisper. What's my point? Listen, you can't move into your future based on yesterday's encounter. You can't go to the next level of your life standing on an old revelation. We all need fresh encounters and fresh revelations from God, and rest is one of the best ways to receive them. When we go up a mountain and we go into a cave for that sole purpose of seeking God. Now, listen, revelation can come in a lot of forms in our life, okay? It can be a promise from the Bible that suddenly just stands out to you when you do your quiet time. It can be a verse that you've read a million times where suddenly you see God in a new way thanks to the Holy Spirit speaking personally to you. Sometimes God speaks to you through a vision, a dream, a fresh idea. 
You know, 2019 for our church was definitely a year of revelation. I mean, we heard so much from God and the Holy Spirit ignited so much creativity in our dream. We made such strides, you know, such, de- such departures from our old way of doing church to new ideas. You know, things that used to work for us for a long time stopped working. You know, things that we learned from our mentors previously, you know, we learned to keep the spirit and DNA and principles of those things alive, but we found exciting new ways of doing it the way God has called us to do it. Because God had a spirit of revelation moving through our church, and that moved us forward. Now, Elijah's past required him to know a God of fire. Supernatural miracles and dramatic, forceful transformation. But Elijah's future required him to know the God who is that still, small, prophetic voice in our lives, guiding us, directing us, instructing us, changing us. You know, fire was for turning people back to God, convicting them. You know, you know but now what he needed was a God who would raise up good kings who would raise up prophets with integrity. So listen, we all need fresh revelation for new seasons of our life. Fresh revelations of who God is. So we need those fresh revelations. But revelation also brings with it a second benefit, and that is breakthroughs and miracles. A solution. So after the still small voice, Elijah complains against exact same words, I'm very passionate for you. Everyone has abandoned your covenant. They have murdered your prophets. I'm the only one left. And now they want to kill me too. You know, this is the problem of human beings, right? God could have just spoken a fresh revelation to us, but it takes a while to break old habits and really understand what God is saying to us. So Elijah wants God to be a God of fire, but God has already said, no, in this season, I'm the still small voice, the gentle voice. But he doesn't get it. And yet, I love this, even though he doesn't get it, God still gives him something to move forward. God says to him, go back through the desert to Damascus and anoint Hazael. Also anoint Jehu. Also anoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet. And whoever escapes Hazael, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes Jehu, Elisha will kill. So revelation should always change our perspective of who God is. But it also, a great thing is it releases supernatural solutions that we need. How many of you here listening to me, you need a solution, a miracle, a breakthrough in your life? You know, a breakthrough to a better dream and to a better life. Then listen, you need a revelation. No life can truly live without revelation. I think that's what Jesus meant when he said human beings can't live by bread alone. Food, clothes, recognition, accolades, they're not enough. We all need dreams and destinies. And here's the thing, it is something that God wants to give to all of us. Not based on how good we are or how strong we are. Not based on whether we are perfect. Elijah was definitely not perfect in this moment. But he still wants to give it to us fresh in every new season of our lives, if we would rest enough, rest our heart enough to hear him speak. You know, Elijah, quite frankly, wasn't his best in this moment. And he was kind of slow to catch on, a little stubborn about complaining. But revelation, this is why I love very often, not always, but very often, revelation is unearned. Grace. 
You know, Revelation is often the Old Testament metaphors depicted as rain, depicted as seed that comes out of the grace of God, which He gives to both the righteous and the wicked. You know, can I tell you, guys, so much of my life has been blessed because of the revelation of God. Not because I earned it, but because God's graciousness, His, 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 His magnanimity decided to speak to me, an imperfect human. You know, He decided to take an interest in changing my perspective and attitude about Him to give me a bigger life to live for. You know, how can I put this to you? You know, goals, goals are very standard things. Everybody should learn how to set goals, right? But they are very standard. They produce somewhat expected results. You can calculate a result. You look at what you have, you decide where you would like to be, you put in the effort, you make adjustments to your plan, and there you go, you hit your goal. Dreams are a little bit better than goals. When goals are mixed with some imagination, it can be awesome, it can make you excited, passionate even. But revelation is a whole different thing. Revelation from God about who He is in your life, who you are, and what destiny He has in store for you, that is a whole other level. Because that is purpose and meaning. You know, I have learned in the course of my life, passion comes and goes. But purpose, that can not only captivate you, it can also compel your life forward when things are hard. And what I found is the effect of revelation from God always, always surpasses any dream I have dreamed out in my own human strength. And every revelation, the results are never just normal or expected, they are always miraculous. So my prayer is that this year, many of you will experience what that means to have fresh revelation in your personal life. And fresh revelation in our church to help you build the evolution. Because rest is for revelation. Now, number three, rest is for realization. Now, God doesn't stop here in this passage at giving Elijah revelation. God also starts something else in Elijah, what I now like to call realization. So after he tells Elijah, you're going to anoint a good king and raise up another prophet, God adds, but I have preserved those who remain in Israel, totaling 7,000. All those whose knees haven't bowed down to Baal and whose mouths haven't kissed him. So you know what God was doing? Like, okay, Elijah, you feel a lot? Fine. I'm promising you two kings and a disciple. Great, right? We're happy. We're done. Solution we came for. Revelation we came for. We got it, right? But God doesn't stop. He quickly inserts a quick confrontation, discipleship with Elijah. By the way, your complaint about being alone, listen, there are 7,000 others who have not bowed their knee to Baal. Basically, he was saying, Elijah, I love you. I'm sending you back to greater things, but stop whining. I'm the only one. Yeah, no, 7,000 others who haven't bowed the knee. Not going to turn back, haven't bowed the knee. Go back the way you came and get back to work. <laughs> so here's the thing, right? I've realized revelation can create miracles, but only realization builds maturity. And if you want a better life, and better dreams, your character, your attitude has to change. It has to transform. It has to elevate to the level of your destiny. 
So I find too many Christians are too content to live by just revelation and miracles. But very few want the pain and process of realization. Because let me tell you, it's hard. It's hard, but it's a powerful thing that God works in our lives when He works maturity. Miracles are supernatural, right? So they often come fast and furious, and they are not very dependent on you. They are dependent on God. You know, it's revelation, nothing to do with you. But realization and the maturity it creates, you know, in you, that is a requirement for greater destinies. God can begin it by confronting us with the fact that we might be wrong. But at the end of the day, you have to respond to that conviction and cultivate that realization. So I always tell this story when I have to share about, about the pain of discipleship. And it's about the first time that I got discipled, you know, corrected by my mentors, Pastor Howe and Pastor Leo, in a very painful way. And, and, you know, really when I look back now, years later, you know, my response was exactly like Elijah. You know, I came with a complaint and then pastors tried to direct me to see things in a new way and a perspective. I complained again and the pastor gave me solutions to my problems, practical solutions. But finally, they decided to sit down and confront me with my wrong attitudes and behavior. Now, can I tell you, to my credit, most young adults would have just gotten angry and said, you know, you don't understand. But instead, I kept quiet and I said, I understand and I'm going to work on it. Now, let me tell you really the process that happened, right? When I sat down and I received that correction, you know, I couldn't really 100% grasp all that they were saying. I knew that they were right, but I couldn't fully figure out. I'm sure Elijah knew he was right when God said 7,000, <laughs> right? But my attitude and my, my patterns in my mind couldn't fully figure it out. But I remember I returned to church that day straight after being sat on the sofa. And then I remember I prayed and I cried. And I shared with one of my good friends at the time, you know, what had happened. And my good friend said, Aya, you know, don't listen lah. You know, they don't understand. And instead of lapping up the comfort, which is what most of us would do, I suddenly, I don't know what came over me, I scolded my friend. I said, don't make this easier for me. I've got a problem and an attitude problem in my life and I need to mature about this. Now, eventually, we didn't stay close because I wanted maturity and they wanted other things. But that moment, that choice, changed my life and changed our church. Not immediately, but gradually. And so, my question to you today is, what will you do not to just have God's revelation and miracles in your life, but God's work of realization in your heart? Because revelation can create a one-off miracle, but realization is the guarantee of a lifetime of miracles. So because of his response, when God confronted him, the Bible doesn't say Elijah whined or that Elijah got upset and Elijah argued back. The Bible says he just did obedience. He didn't even say anything to the correction. He went back he, the way he came and he immediately started doing what God told him to do. But let me tell you, Something happened because of that verse 18 that he obeyed and just went back. You know, instead of just anointing Jehu and, and, and Hazael and then Elisha, do you know that by the end of his life, Elijah did many more miracles and raised up at least 100, maybe 200 prophets on top of Elijah. You know, that revelation from God was only for three men. But the realization was for 200. So again, I ask, 
What will you do to have God's realization work in your life? And, and let, me, let, me, let me be very clear, it's not always painful work, okay? A lot of majority of my life, it isn't perpetual pain. But sometimes it is. But it's by no means an easy choice to make, to love correction, to love maturity, to love realization. But it is the Jesus way. And it is the narrow way. Sometimes it requires you to slow down, to rest your heart so that you can take in what people are saying about your life or what God is saying about your attitude. Sometimes it requires you to go back the way you came, the way Elijah did. Go back to the difficult stuff and get it right this time around, to humble yourself and get it right. But it's the difference between being just a person in the crowd versus being one of the people that Jesus closely mentors. Because being mentored by God Listen, it's what produces integrity, capacity, ability, and greatness. Rest is for realization. Now, number four, finally, rest is for renewed ambition. So last bit of our passage here, okay? Verse 19, so Elijah departed from there, found Elisha, shepherd's son. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. So this guy was a rich young guy, okay? Elisha was with the 12th yoke. Elijah met up with him and threw his coat on him. Elisha immediately left the oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and my mother. Elisha said, then I will follow you. Elijah replied, go, I'm not holding you back. Elisha turned back from following Elijah, took the pair of oxen, slaughtered them. Then the equipment from the oxen, Elisha bought the meat, gave it to the people and they ate it. Then he got up, followed Elijah and served him. Now, whenever I read the last bit of this passage, I've always been confused by Elijah's reaction to Elisha being ready to give up everything to follow him. You know, he replied in, this, in the CB version, Go, I'm not holding you back. But another translation reads, Go, what have I done to you? And it's almost as though when you read it, Elijah is puzzled that this kid will immediately obey. You know, and I used to wonder, especially, why is Elijah so weird? Why is his reaction so bizarre? You know, God already said, what? So, shouldn't Elijah follow? Elijah is a big honor what, to be mentored by the only prophet in Israel. But think about it from Elijah's point of view for a moment. He's fresh off his Horeb experience. He's received the revelation, but his realization and his maturity is still, his mindsets are still trying to catch up. He's just been complaining about how he's all alone and no one is with him. And so now, this kid that God sends him to responds with overwhelming enthusiasm. Elijah, I am ready. Just give me one moment to say goodbye. And then not only after he does that, he goes to burn his entire livelihood. Now, this is a rich young guy. He's plowing with 12 oxen. So back then, he was really rich and industrious, okay? He wants to burn his business. He sacrifices gives a feast to his people, then runs to go and follow Elijah to be his servant. Not even, you know, there's no title, no crown that says successor, future successor of Elijah, crown, I don't know, nothing. Now, I can just imagine how that moment must have warmed Elijah's cold, judgmental heart. 
So much so that he's surprised when the kid says, I'm ready. And I suspect, I would imagine, you know, for someone who just came out of burnout, that must have given him the fuel he needed to go further and to raise up 200 prophets. To set up prophetic schools, the Bible says, in all the major towns of Israel. So I want to say this to you, times of rest also renew our ambition. There's always an objective, it's there to renew our ambition. You know, you may have thought, and there have been seasons in my life where I thought, I lost my passion, my ambition, and it's not coming back. You know, you may be in a chapter right now of your life where it may seem like you cannot see a light at the end of the tunnel. You cannot dream, you cannot hear. There's no energy, no drive. But let me tell you, just trust God's process. Trust God's 1 Kings 19 chapter of your life. Not only are you going to recover, you are going to get a revelation. And not only will you get a revelation, if you allow it, God will do His work of realization in your life. And if you commit yourself to God's process of maturity, of rest, this 2020, you are going to experience renewed ambition, higher than you've ever felt it before. Enough to take you through the next seven years of your life and the next seven years of our church. So I want to encourage you today, I don't know which one of these applies to you. And maybe sometimes, you know, we are a mix of all three at any given time. We need recovery in some areas. We need revelation in others. I need some revelation in certain other areas of my life. You know, maybe you're at a moment where God is saying, you know what, you need to come to some major realizations about your patterns and the way you live and the attitudes that you have. But wherever it is, I want to encourage you, the end product, the end result is that God wants to renew your ambitions for life. God wants you for better things, for better futures, for better ideas, for better visions. And I believe God wants that for our church as well. So I don't know what it's going to look like in our church right now. I don't think it's going to be just 100% rest and do nothing. No, I don't think so. I think for half of the time at least it's going to be a fight. Well, COVID is its own fight, right? You know, having to go online is its own fight, but we're going to fight so that we can enter rest. So that we can be supernaturally ambitious for God. So that we can be excited about the future. So that we can dream up new things and build a different, better church. Not for our ego, but so that we can serve others. So that we bring others to know Jesus. So that we can be unselfish and share what God is doing in our church with other people, with other churches, with other leaders, with other pastors, with other Christians. So that we can help just be a part of making just a little bit of a dent in this world. A little bit of an evolution in Christianity. You know, just a little bit of a change that maybe will reverberate and ripple to bigger than just our life. Maybe to another Elisha. Maybe to 200 others, you know. Maybe to other places. And see God turn people to Himself. So, wherever you are, seated behind your screen or together with your CG, I want to encourage you, don't be down and out today. And if you are, I want you to know that God is with you. That God is on this journey and this is just a chapter. But there is an ending, a happy ending to your story.